Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Today I have joining me Dan Gizzy. Dan, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be here. Dan is the Vice President of Sales for Mar- or excuse me, Magic EdTech. Dan, tell me about your role in, in Magic EdTech. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Uh, my role at Magic is kind of an interesting one. Um, you know, we're very well situated in the education and tech space as a vendor preferred partner. And uh, my role here is uh, working with and managing the global accounts team. So working on more of the farming side of the house where we have established relationships. Uh, and for me, what's kind of interesting and unique is I'm actually at a point in my career where I'm now working four companies that I used to work with previously. So it's come full circle for me. That's pretty wild. Thinking back over your career, and you've had a pretty long career in sales. Um, what are the three things that have really gotten you where you are that have really contributed to your success? So some of the, I would say my top three things that would have gotten me here, um, authenticity, I would say was probably number one. Um, you know, really being able to be yourself is important in sales. Uh, number two is uh, short-term memory. You know, I say having a short-term memory for the things that don't go our way and still being able to wake up in the morning, put on the face and show up the next day is uh, very important. Um, and then for me, I would say number three is humility, you know, because again, we're in sales, we're only as good as what we did yesterday. And today's a new day. And you know, we have to always think about, you know, what are we going to do again tomorrow? Oh, yeah, I, especially short term memory. I love that. Yeah. Um, you definitely have to have a short memory. Um, How did you get your start in sales? Is that was that your dream as a kid? Pure accidental. Uh, my dream as a kid, and I still think there's this opportunity for me is the first base for the Yankees. You know, there's still oh, some there in these knees. I just couldn't hit the curveball or fastball or, you know, or was not tall enough, unfortunately. So had a had a pivot very early on in life to decide <laughs> where I was going to land. Um, you know, actually, I started out in technology uh, very early in uh, where I was at the time growing up in the 90s. Um, I'm a product of the 80s, you know, growing up in the 90s. Uh, it was when computers were really starting to find their way into our homes. The Internet was very much in its infancy and, you know, really enjoyed uh, taking the computers apart, putting them back together. And at that point, you know, when I transitioned into college, I thought computer science was going to be for me and um, ended up actually uh, finishing my college degree, uh, combining a management with a portion of degree with the computer science, one of the first MIS degrees before we were calling that a degree. And um, actually ended up uh, a coder for a little bit and realized I was much better about talking about coding and talking about technology than I was building it. So I had to pivot very early on in my career, um, ended up having an accidental career in publishing. Actually, a friend of mine uh, that I had known was they were hiring at their company in inside sales and I was looking for my next opportunity and, you know, started out in inside sales was you know, responsible for a hundred plus accounts in the Midwest. And I'm a kid from New Jersey originally that, you know, my knowledge of the Midwest was, you know, what you would see on TV. And I was working with schools and 
uh, let's see, Chicagoland area, Wisconsin, Minnesota. So lots of names I had never heard of before. And, you know, thankfully took a liking to it and was able to uh, progress throughout my career from inside sales into outside sales, actually moving to the Midwest for, for 10 years in Chicago, and then you know, ultimately progressing to where I am today as uh, you know, a sales leader. What was the toughest part about that early stage of your career doing sales? You know, really the resiliency piece, um, you know, so I, after 9-11 was really when I just had determined, okay, it's time to figure out what I want to do with my life. And, you know, very early on, I'm in my mid-20s and packed up, moved to Chicago, thankfully, with the company I was with at the time. I knew one person in Chicago and was really beyond just starting over in a new career, still very early on in sales, new city, new town, new everything, new culture, and, you know, very quickly learned that. Uh, the fish out of water syndrome is real. Uh, imposter syndrome is real, particularly in, in sales as well. And, you know, well, 20 plus years, I still feel like some days the imposter syndrome can be there. But, you know, it's, it's learning from the things that we didn't do well in one day and applying that knowledge forward is really what's helped me uh, grow to be where I am at this point in my career. Was there a mentor or someone back at that time that really helped you through that period? I've had a couple in my career that I can look back on and say that absolutely I can still hear them, you know, with their coaching and guidance. And I think, you know, some of the best mentors I've ever had were some of the ones that were most critical of me, but making sure they were providing that guidance to get to the next step too. You know, I was, uh, I've so like to say the phrase uh, to you know, the folks around me, making sure you're comfortably uncomfortable, you know, never making sure you can fall into the patterns. And that was what some of my best mentors have always done for me. You know, when they see that I was falling into, say, you know, that early on pattern of, you know, not necessarily trying something new or pivoting in a direction that may change the outcome. You know, they would always make sure that they would, you know, push the envelope a little bit, try to get you to think outside the box. And uh, I'm sure there's a million and one other buzzwords I can probably throw at that. But, you yeah. know, it's, it's that. Yeah, they, they definitely early on in my career, you know, the, the woman that hired me um, in publishing at the time, I said to her during the interview process, I said in six months, I want to be an outside sales rep. I said, that's my goal. Because she asked me what my goals were. And she said, that's great. We'll make sure you're on that path. And, yeah. you know, it's been very good since then. With obviously lots of bumps in the road. Though. Was there a moment in that time that you just like, that switch went on where like, I'm good at this. I can do this. It was probably after uh, my first big loss, you know, really? the first big loss. Yeah, I think it was, you know, we had poured a lot of effort, a lot of money and a lot of time into a very politically charged um, sale and it did not go our way. And it's one of those things where I was having a very parallel track happening as well in another account that was very similar to the one we were losing and we were winning. You know, so it was, it, it, we were applying the exact same strategies to both. We're, we're both very political, very driven by what was going to be the ROI at the end, not only for the end user, but also for, you know, the buyers at the time. And I could, I, I could see where, you know, we, it didn't matter what we were going to do in the one we were losing. We were always going to probably end up on the, we weren't the incumbent, you know, and we weren't the incumbent in the one we ended up winning as well. And ultimately, you know, being able to, shift and pivot the strategy to the ones that we saw that, okay, this is where the value is going to be for us. You know, let's shift our efforts there, you know, in a different strategy and learn from what we're not doing right. I think was really where I can say that, you know, it, it clicked, right? It clicked that, you know, no matter sometimes how hard you work, 
Sometimes you're working even harder for the ones that don't happen, but applying that knowledge forward, ultimately actually, you know, ended up being very successful. That's awesome. What drove your transition into leadership? I really enjoy the training aspect of what a sales role can, you know, materialize into. I really enjoy seeing those aha moments. Um, you know, it's sad to say I also enjoy the spreadsheet part that tends to come with moving up the ladder as well and, you know, getting down into the nitty gritty and the process of what actually makes the workflows happen. Uh, but for me, you know, it's being there to be that mentor or in some capacity, hoping that I'm acting as a good mentor towards someone to be able to see and guide them in a path that's going to move them in their career. And, you know, being able to instill that trust in that growth and watch that happen for me is, is really key to, you know, the leadership position. And, you know, obviously the budget meetings come and go, the QBRs come and go, you know, watching that new sales rep or watching that, that person, you know, that person and individual really have that first real aha moment or that first good, you know, that great sale, right. And and being able to celebrate it from a different Avenue with them and and knowing that, you know, you were not a hundred percent involved every step of the way, but you were giving them guidance to to grow and and get to that point is, is for me where, you know, I find the most level of enjoyment. Yeah. Was that a tough path for you to take, you know, you know, some people are just, I love sales, you know, so you can be torn. Was that a tough decision for you? I think I've managed to find myself in leadership roles where I've been, whether I've been directly managing people or not. You know, I've been in senior sales leader roles, solutions level roles, where you tend to have to fit that mentorship role because you're not key point of contact, but you become a point of contact for a certain degree of the sale. You know, so I've gotten to experience it on different levels, and now obviously where I am today, uh, you know, managing a team, but I'm also player coach too. So I do have my own accounts that I do manage as part of the process. I think it's an important piece as a leader to still be involved. You know, not necessarily always on the day to day aspects of everything going on. Um, you know, but trying to still have that involvement because it does keep you fresh. It keeps the skills fresh, right? I mean, it's like sales is like anything else, you know, we're only as good as what we're learning and what we continue to hear, you know, still being able to hear what's happening on the ground floor and and having that empirical data coming back to be able to translate across the team, I think is important. In your role as a sales leader, what are you trying to do to impact the culture of your sales team? Culture is a very uh, big aspect here at Magic, particularly. Uh, so we're an internationally based company. Magic has offices. Uh, we're on based out of in the states. We're based out of New York, and then most of our staff and delivery. So we're a professional services company. Sits in India. You know, so we've got ninety nine percent of our employees are you know based in the, either the central uh, Noida region, uh, NCR region, or now with us uh, since COVID, you know, hybridly placed throughout India. So you know, culturally as a company, you know, we cross a lot of barriers from different languages, obviously being spoken, but we speak English. You know, when we're on calls, for example, or even to the aspect of holidays being celebrated. So uh, you know, when we're recording this right now, actually, there's holidays going on in India that are we would never have heard of. And I just learned about one of them today. It was uh, some, it's a 
one of the holidays about how a sister actually celebrates her brother and, and vice versa. And it's, it's very interesting to learn and interact with yeah. the different cultural aspects of what, you know, we would not necessarily have here stateside. Um, actually had the opportunity to visit our office very recently um, with some of our team here in the States. And, um, you know, we were there for 10 days in the office and experiencing how they interact and how they work together with our production and delivery center. And then also actually we did a retreat up into the Himalayas. So we were in the mountains for yeah. half of the time as well, hiking together and learning and growing from each other. And you know, I can say a bucket list item I didn't know I needed in my life, visiting oh, wow. India and obviously yeah. going and hiking the Himalayas and unfortunately getting one day of deli belly too. And uh, you can Google deli belly after this to <laughs> see what I've been mean there. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, do you have a particular strategy or philosophy in how you build your team? So as a company, you know, we're very uh, hyper-focused around accessibility. Uh, we're very focused around inclusive and uh, DE&I and inclusive. Uh, it's not only in our company, but also in the way we work with our partners, how we present ourselves as a company externally. You know, we have traditionally worked in this space for over 30 years now where accessibility wasn't anything that was ever talked about. Uh, myself included, you know, 17 years in educational publishing, I whispered the word 508 compliant maybe a handful of times because it was never something we had to think about or even really present as a case. And thankfully now with you know the forefront of that being in the education space, particularly in the K-12 market of inclusivity, you know, bringing everyone to the table, ensuring that you can see yourself in the material being taught or the material being driven is so important. Us as a company, for example, so you know, we have become an accessibility vendor of choice for many of our partners where you know we will go through basic review of a website, for example, to show if it's compliant for um, accessibility. You know, we'll remediate the product and deliver hopefully a higher level version of, of accessibility when it's done, you know, so that's a lot of times how we would start engaging and then it transitions into also us working in different levels of engineering work, platform development work. So it really gives us our own foothold as a company. And, but even just to think about in a hiring process as well, you know, are we hiring people that are not always 100% like-minded? You know, the group think is good, but group think can also become very detrimental to growth. That's, I think the first time this has come up on Sales Lead Dog, I'm really glad you brought this up. Um, I really believe that, you know, you have to, if you're going to connect with a particular market or segment, you have to be able to connect them always, you know, not just in, you know, your marketing lingo or your pitch or whatever, but as you said, you, you have to represent you know, and, and so that that's a, a huge commitment. Um, was this something that happened, did, it took a while to, to transform or, you know, can you talk a little bit about that transformation or that path? I think it's been very organic uh, in the industry in and of itself. Um, I know myself, it's not something that I can look back and say it's something I invented, but, you know, I think even, you know, like for example, on my own level, when I'm, you know, trying to conduct an interview or an interview process, I do my best to try not to bring the unconscious bias in. I mean, obviously it, it happens, right? You know, even for example, my first interview, I try to just do over the phone. I'd rather not have that face-to-face -face first 
you know, because we you know we we feel we form unconscious bias when we see that that the impression, and I do my best to avoid that. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't always happen, but you know, because then you you have this ability to kind of think differently than what you may see presented the first time forward, or you know, even as you're starting to go through, and someone may check all of the boxes professionally, yep. all down the way. They could be a rock star. They could have that superstar, been top dog every time, or, or top, you know, number one in their company, but if they're not going to be a good team player, you know, the, you know, so if you have an existing team, right, the last thing you want to do is have an individual contributor coming in that can't get along with the other individual contributors, because ultimately you still have to bring people together, you know, so there's a lot of that, that you have to think about that goes beyond just an accessibility or even inclusive uh, inclusivity in, in the process as well. But, you know, being able to then also represent forward, you know, you know, if people like to talk to talk, understand that you understand what they're saying. And it's so important today. I know we're not just checking boxes. Right, right. Um, in your role as a sales leader, you know, and you touched a, a little bit on this earlier, failure is such a big component of sales. You know, we wish we could win them all. Mm -hmm. How do you leverage your experiences on the front lines with failure in your role as a sales leader today? So we have a process internally where, you know, we will always look at, you know, the unfortunate ones that did not come across the finish line for us in the way we would like. You know, we, we have a root cause analysis review of taking the time to pull together the teammates that were involved. We also try to bring potentially people that would have an outside opinion that may not have been involved in, you know, the actual process as it went to really try to identify and understand, okay, you know, let's, let's see where we may have been able to pivot differently in the future? Did we hear the feedback? Did we gather the requirements properly? You know, did we implement a strategy properly to, to ultimately come out and win? And, you know, that's important to be able to say, because, you know, we want to be able to learn from that mistake and not keep creating the same challenges and issues each time of having to have those analysis afterwards. Again, everybody would love to win everyone, but we know, we know the the unfortunateness of sales. It's, it's you know, the more leads we have, the the bigger the pipeline, great, but are we bringing them all to fruition is important too. Yeah. Is it hard for you to get the feedback from your prospects that on the ones you lose? Do you get good info from them as to why you lost or why they went with the other, the other company? I think it's going to depend upon your interaction with them prior. You know, I think if it's a cold RFP you're coming into, you're going to get less feedback because you haven't taken the time to nurture the relationship and the relationship's not there. You're answering blindly, basically, you know, so it's important to structure your time with them prior, try to get as much of it as you can off the record, potentially as well. That's not be, you know, the unstated questions in the RFP that aren't there, um, as well as making sure you've got the relationship going into it that, you know, you can try to show some of the cards beforehand and get, that gauge ahead of time, you know, maybe it's a pricing question or maybe it's a direction question that they may not be thinking about and try to gauge that interest prior to, to seeing if you may be, you know, taking it that separate direction of what they were thinking, because that can be very risky at times as well, because you might not be wearing the blinders that they're asking you to wear, but, you know, getting them to think differently. And then obviously the most important one is helping them write the RFP in the first place or helping them write the, write the outcome in the first place because you've been embedded prior to it having to go to a, a session to prove the, the, you know, the investment that's coming. What role does empathy play in your role as a sales leader? It's very important. I think, you know, with that figure, the emotional quotient has been a very high topic of everyone now, especially in leadership positions with how the world has changed, how we work, how we interact, 
Um, you know, particularly obviously in the past prior to COVID, we might have been doing this in the same room together. You know, right. this shift away from having traditional office space. You know, I've, most of my career I've been at home or an outside sales-based employee. I've had the interactions in the office as well. You know, so being able to transition that thought process and understand, you know, how do you work with somebody and get beyond just the, the professional piece? Understand, hey, you know, there's a lot going on in life right now. We live in a, a very interesting time, to say the least. I think, you know, as a world, we're learning to accept some of the things that, you know, have changed how we work, um, particularly in the education space. We, many of the things I was talking about for 15 years of my career about moving to digital literally happened overnight when students were put virtual. Yeah. And honestly, that's what brought me back in education. You know, I had left. I, I, I was in, um, you know, an industry where I was working with inter integration software for a while and then got to see what was happening with uh, my young one here who was in second grade at the time. And I'm like, nothing's changed in this industry in 10 years for some aspects of this. That, you know, how do I pivot back into that and ended up thankfully, you know, um, finding, you know, the role here at Magic and working with the team to come on board. But, you know, empathy is very important because, you know, you as a, as a leader, you are you know sometimes leader, sometimes boss, sometimes therapist, uh, you know, sometimes friend, sometimes drinking buddy, right? When, when we're right. winning or, or sadly losing. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, yeah. so trying to fit that mold of, you know, being able to understand that there's more outside, going on outside of, you know, this screen here or, or the client walls is important. Do you have uh, certain characteristics you're looking for in the candidates you're planning on developing for a leadership role? I like someone that's got a good sense of humor. You know, I think it's a good quality to have in sales. Uh, I really enjoy someone that's going to be authentic and be themselves right away. You know, I believe in the cards on the table approach to, to a lot of this. You know, it doesn't always necessarily pan out in a lot of cases, but I also do think that you can learn a lot about somebody within those first 15 minutes if they're being authentic or not to, you know, because that's going to translate forward into how they work. When they're independent, it's going to translate forward and how they become and it can hopefully integrate into part of the existing culture and team without too much disruption, right? And, you know, important to just being able to understand that, will they challenge the system that may not be right internally and externally as well? You know, so being able to have an opinion that, but also can accept that you can't change everything overnight. Right. What was your biggest mistake early on in uh, when you transformed into leadership? Just one. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's a, it's a learning process every day, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it was interesting how I transitioned into beyond just a straight mentor role. I had, um, you know, moved into a consulting role for a bit and trying to decide what I wanted to do with the, with the rest of my life for a couple of years ago and actually got it up in the corporate L&D space and um, had the opportunity to build a sales and marketing team for a company that provides uh, call center operations around the world. So that was my first real dive into it, you know, great leader that took a chance in me, a company that took a chance in me, and the same that I was taking a chance in them as well, leaving behind traditional education, moving into the corporate space. And, you know, it was, for me, the interesting challenge was, you know, I had typically worked for companies that were U.S. or British-based, they were a French-based company. And so there was culture shock again, obviously, yeah. cultures. so that's always big and tough, you know, being a new leader coming into a company. And then, you know, how do we navigate? How do we navigate those waters? How do you build a team around that culture? And then also, you know, the shift was 
away from thinking about always selling for an outcome of who's going to use my product to then in the corporate LMD space where it was driven by what's going to be my ROI. You know, great, your product's awesome, your conversation was great, now you got to go prove an ROI for the next six months. And that was a, an interesting learning experience for myself, as well as the people that we were bringing on. They were young, many of them were first or second sales job in their career. It wasn't traditional sales, it was more of a solutions role. So navigating and learning with them alongside of them, I think it was a lot of mistakes were, were always made, of course, their mistakes are always going to be made every day. I think just, you know, if you're not making mistakes, you're not doing it right, I feel. Yeah, no, yeah, I believe that you have to fall in your face. It is absolutely the best way to learn. Yeah. Um, I get nervous when things are always going well all the time. I get very, very nervous. Like, what uh, am I not doing that I should be doing? Yeah. What email did I not read today or, or text did I not see? Because there's got to be something, right? It was too yeah. quiet today. Yeah, that, that voice in my head goes, you're not doing something. It's going too good. You know, you're not pushing hard enough somewhere. Um, so let's switch the conversation a little bit. CRM, do you love yes. it or do you hate it? So... In my time when I was outside of the L&D space on both sides of it, I was actually involved in some aspect of the CRM world. So I was the integration software I was working with actually typically was integrating either CRM to ERP or some version of, uh, of that being that middleware working with those systems. So I got to know a lot about CRM uh, in, on the dirty side of it, uh, working with you know how they work. Uh, being in sales, obviously, we, we can live and die by our CRMs as well. So I've gotten to know many of them very well. Um, they're better than others. I think the best CRMs in the world are the ones that you can get to your information quickly with as little steps as possible. You know, there's always going to be room for improvement. There's always going to be, I wish it did this, which is where companies like yourself come into play, I would assume, right? Yeah. And then, um, you know, being able to just think through what is my workflow improving because I'm using my CRM or not? Or yeah. is the information there when, you know, I unfortunately get the hangnail and I'm out for six months, can somebody go and decipher my notes of what I was working on and pick up where I left off? Yeah. Is CRM usually the problem or is it an excuse for what the real problem is? In my opinion, it's about a training. You know, it's always about the training. You know, the data is only as good as the person inputting it. You know, at the end of the day, it's just a giant database responding back with the information that was in it. So if the end user is not religious with the work to do it, it's always going to be just, well, it was another tool that I didn't use today. Uh, I say it was about 10 years ago in my career where I actually made the transition away from paper notes as best as I could to making sure I was using the CRM. And thankfully, you know, at this point, I'm very good about it, of uh, trying to do my best to take my notes while they're happening in the CRM with the window open and another screen. You know, that way they're fresh, they're there. I didn't have to worry, did I write it down and then did I translate it appropriately or more importantly, did I get too distracted and not translate them in? You know, so I found for me, my own workflow, I use my CRM every day. It's open, it's there, my notes are there. I harp on my team for it. Um, if any of them were here with me, they would they would know that I'm asking them that they put their notes, that they track their meetings. And internally as a company, you know, we do use our CRM to report back on the progress of the account. You know, are we, you know, yeah. are we working enough at this account that we have enough quality meetings? You know, are there areas where we can improve our meeting and outreach with the different teams internally that are tasked with working on the accounts as well? So it's always a work in progress when it comes to a salesperson. Because again, we always yeah. have that, let's get to the next, you know, 
next one, but, you know, being able to have that, that religious mentality of, okay, my notes are there. I'm tracking it or my opportunity is up to date. I'm tracking the opportunity. I'm tagging the people that I know need to help me on this opportunity. Again, another important piece of that accountability, right? It can't just be me being accountable, but I know I need these four people to help me. Let me make sure they know what's going on. Yep. How do you leverage CRM in your analysis, that root cause analysis around the lost deals? It's an area where I say we can improve. Um, you know, so we actually have right now we have two internal systems that we're using. One specifically just for um, you know our prospecting, our note taking on the account, and currently the, our opportunities live in another system. We are transitioning to where they will all be uh, gathered in one place. But so there is a little bit of a disconnect when it comes to that for us. As far as you know, tying the two together, though, you know, we do track both. You know, did we can we look back at the notes or can we look and see? You know, did, how long was this lead open, for example? Right. That's always the that's always the, the the hard part as a sales leader. Let's say, oh, you know, this well, this, this lead was open for 90 days. Were we working it appropriately? Would we put the right effort into it? Maybe that's one of the reasons why we ended up on the wrong side of this lead. You know, or did we have the right inputs early enough on to understand that we may have needed more help in the front end? And then we can go back and we do go back and look at that as well. Right. Right. I love that. Um do you guys have a strategy around how you're leveraging technology to enable the sales team? So it's kind of interesting being a company that also has its own technology right. uh, vertical internally. So, you know, beyond just working on the content side, we do have uh, full platform development internally as well. So, you know, we do work and build systems like this externally for clients. So we do transition that knowledge internally. You know, we actually just recently launched our, our employee portal for training internally. Um, we have a, a SaaS-based pro, uh, pro, um, program that we also sell externally as well that uh, has LMS-like features and different features that can be implemented white label as well. You know, so it's kind of interesting having some of these things internally that are our own. We obviously do work third party for, for many of the systems as well. So kind of integrating in different systems that have different functions for each one of the, you know, so not one system having to be a catch-all, for example, but individual systems using um, for their uh, their expert. That's wild. Pieces that That's have, good yeah. stuff. Um, what about marketing, integrating marketing technology with the sales technology and, and, and also using that to help create alignment between marketing and sales. Can you talk a little bit about that? Account-based marketing is huge. I think, you know, having the tools to be able to be integrated in and understand the hit rate, the click rate, digging into what the SEO is, for example, on the website, you know, collating all of that data. I mean, we've got so much data that comes at us now as a salesperson and trying to stand you know, like, you know, did, did Chris open, Chris got the, the newsletter. Okay, Chris opened it twice. Oh, he clicked on this link once. Great, let me go, let me go pounce on Chris, right? And then, then all of a sudden you're getting all of these, what look from our obviously cold call messages in your, your view coming to your cold calls, but we've got all that data on you because you're, you know, if it's GDPR is not involved, we've seen your click rate. We've seen the pattern rate. Or you clicked on a, that ad that was in LinkedIn that we targeted you with because of where you are, and you landed on that landing page, and now we've gathered all that information. So it's it's that scary factor of data as well of the of what's being tracked. But you know how do we translate that then into actionable items, right? The actionable items of okay, well that's something maybe is a talking point the next time you and I talk, right? As opposed to having to just pounce on you. So being able to use the data in, in, in appropriate ways that we establish a relationship prior. Hey, I saw you open that link, Chris, you know, I shoot you the message. What'd you think? 
Right. Or if you're somebody I don't know, that's probably not the most appropriate message because it'll probably land in the spam. And then next thing, what are the six touch points before somebody responds if they don't know you, I think yeah. is the yeah. current average or at least the average pre-COVID. I'm sure that's probably higher now. But yeah, it's it's such an interesting like rabbit hole you can go down with data. Oh, it really is. And it, it's, you said it, I mean, it is just a deluge of data these days, what you can collect. Like you said, if you're not GDPR, um, there's just so much. And then it's figuring out, okay, how do I leverage this to actually come up with those, you know, engagement strategy? How are we going to leverage this information to, to make that appropriate outreach to where you're not being creepy or, you know, <laughs> you know, scaring people, you know? Um, yeah, then you have all and you have your account-based people that want to do this way. Then you have your, your vertical-based people that want to do this. Oh, we have this campaign strategy we're about to launch. And it's the overwhelmingness of everything that a salesperson has to has to deal with. And we got we got tough jobs, you know. Oh yeah. Nobody wants to believe it. We're, you know, everybody, everybody wants it's to so true. Figures, right? Yeah. I was talking to a friend of mine who's you know, career sales guys, and he's like, Oh, the people in the office they get so mad at me, they think like I'm just like I, cause I, I'll come in the office for a couple hours, then I'm gone. And they think like I'm out, like going home, taking a nap or I'm golfing uh -huh. or whatever. They have no idea how much work I'm putting into this and how hard my job is. Um, and when you factor in just the, like you're saying, the volume of data and all these different things that you have to worry about, it is a hard job. Nobody, nobody knows what we go through, right? Except, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Everyone sure our this, they guys know. would be telling us, you know, the sales guys don't do anything, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. They just collect the big paychecks. Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, Dan, really appreciate you coming on Sales League Dog. If people want to reach out and connect with you, um, or if they want to learn more about Magic EdTech, what's the best way for them to do that? Absolutely. Yeah. So our website is uh, magicedtech.com. That is the, the corporate website. Um, they can find us on all of our, all the social channels as well. Uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, I think we're on Instagram, Facebook. Um, you can find myself as well. I'm on LinkedIn, uh, just, you know, search for Dan Gizzy. I, I'm on Twitter, not as active, but more active on LinkedIn. And then, um, you know, really would love to obviously engage in any way with the network as possible. And, you know, love being here, Chris, thanks for inviting yeah. me and you know, look forward to having future conversations with you as well. Yeah, no, it's great having you on here on Sales Lead Dog and Dan, uh, welcome to the pack. Thank you. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube, and you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog sales lead dog is supported by impeller crm delivering objectively better crm for business guaranteed